Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we're, we are both so passionate about. Welcome, Haley. Good to have you here for another episode. Good to be here. Feels good. And you had a day in the classroom. I had a day getting ready for my uh, leadership academy next, starting uh, in two weeks. Woohoo! And how are you doing, Dad? How are you feeling? Getting ready to go? Oh, I'm really uh, excited about this academy and excited about the people who've signed up. And we've gone into partnership with the University of Calgary, and it's a about a f- three and a half days of uh, diving deeply into the whole topic of authentic leadership. So it's a real highlight of my year to be able to host these uh, these academies. Twice a year we do these. Cool. Exciting. And when is the academy uh, coming up? What are the dates? Yeah, it starts on the 30th of May and it goes until the 2nd of June, that whole week, basically. Amazing. It's so hopefully up. you will be tuning into this prior to that and I will be filling in with people with, with uh, what happens after. Yeah. And you had a fascinating topic for us to go through today. Yeah. So as you know, uh, one of the the courses I teach uh, is a grade 11 social science class. Um, And so there are three units with that class, anthropology, psychology, sociology, and all three of these disciplines are monstrous disciplines. And so really, truly to try to condense them into um, a singular course (laughs) with three units uh, for grade 11 students who have never been exposed to any of these big ideas or thoughts or anything like that before is quite a challenge. However, it is one of my favorite classes to teach. Um, Obviously I like English and drama and all that too, but this class is wonderful because it really gets these kids to think about themselves and the world they live in. uh, And it it sparks some incredible discussion. So we just started our sociology unit, our very last one. And there is this school of thought uh, in sociology um, called the looking glass self. Um, and so what the looking glass self is in terms of sociology written by, uh, Charles Cooley, um, it's, it's, a it's a three-step process. So the first step is imagining how, uh, our personality and appearance appears to others. So looking at, you know, attractive versus unattractive, heavy, slim, tall, short, all of those binaries there. Number two, we imagine how other people judge our appearance based on that we present in step one. Uh, and how we think they feel about us, not how they actually feel about us, but it's our perception of how we think they feel about that. And then the step three is we develop our entire self-concept, our, our being, our sense of self and our um, whole perspective and the way we view the world based on how we feel judged in step two. So if we are judged in a, in a good way, if we perceive that we are judged in a good way, not actually being judged, but if we perceive we are being judged in a good way, we end up with a favorable self-concept, a high self-esteem. If we perceive that we are being judged in a in a negative way or in a bad way, it can lead to like an unfavorable self-concept. Um, and so uh, what the looking glass self is, um, is it's, it's looking at how we present ourselves to the world, how we perceive other people view us. Uh, and then how we either accept or adapt our, our appearances based on that. Um, I don't even want to say feedback because it's, it's how we perceive other people to view us. Right. And so, um, there was a, a series of memes like internet 
trends, I guess, that went around several years ago, uh, where it would be six images. Um, and people would say like, you know, people in their life and how they view them. So for instance, it would be like how my sister views me, how my mother views me, how my teachers view me, how my brother views me, how my ex-girlfriend views me. Uh, and they would replace the, uh, they would put with those images, like a little devil or like an angel or, um, you know, Homer Simpson or what have you, um, as a way of like exploring, um, who you think you are to those different people. Um, and so my question for you, dad, based on this theory, how does that connect to authenticity? What do you think? Well, I think it relates extremely well to authenticity because I think it's important to be aware of how we are coming across in the world to other people and, and be aware of our awareness of what our perception is that other people might be giving us. So, for example, if we are perceived as um, an awful person by another person, um, we it's important that we recognize that we brought out that self. I don't know. I'm trying to get my head around this because it's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a new language for me. Yeah, so sure. maybe you could give some, some examples for me to be able to reflect on how it relates to authenticity. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So if I illustrate this and I, I'm going to go based on, I don't know if you ever watched the TV show Queer Eye, but it is one of my favorite shows right now on Netflix. Um, and so the general gist of the show Queer Eye is that there, it's a spinoff of the show that came out in like the early 2000s called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, where you have uh, five gay men uh, who give another, a straight man, a makeover. Uh, and so the, their clothes, their lifestyle, their, their house, the way they live, uh, and they give them pep talks, they give them social work and therapy, they give them uh, a new design for their house, they give them a new haircut, what have you, right? And so this TV show is a spinoff of that. So we have five individuals, um, so four men and a non-binary um, person, uh, who approach these people they call heroes who've been nominated, and they give them a life makeover. Um, and so the current episode that I just watched uh, is about this teacher uh, who turned into a principal and, and worked her way up and gave and gave and gave and gave and gave to her students. Um, this is in the most recent season. It's a fabulous show. Okay. And so, um, but this woman, um, I think sort of stopped prioritizing her, um, herself really for the sake of her job. So she really kind of let herself go in terms of her clothes, in terms of her grooming, um, in terms of her, like how she valued herself. And so she started to just sort of wear sloppy t-shirts and leggings, for example, nothing wrong with those things. Actually, ironically, that's exactly what I'm wearing at this very moment in time. However, um, that was sort of, instead of taking pride in what she looked like and how she presented herself with the world, she just prioritized other things. Um, and then because of that, she imagined the world judged her for it. Um, and she imagined that she was ugly. She imagined that nobody in the world would find her attractive or valuable. Um, and then that, that worldview, that sense of self, that self-concept became established in, in, in herself over time as an, as what we, as what sociologists call an unfavorable self-concept. So that's where like the self-deprecation comes from. That's where the feelings of I'm so ugly, nobody will love me comes from, right? Because it's this perceiving that the world is judging you for your appearance. Uh, and then, so you just sort of fall into that mold, you fall into that role. 
and purely because of how you presume and imagine the world is viewing you, not how the world actually views you. That's the key thing with this, right? Is it entirely based on how we perceive others view us, right? And the judgments that we make about our own self and our own bodies and our own appearances and personalities entirely based on how we perceive other people perceive us. Um, and so another example of that would be, um, you know, in a lot of, uh, in terms of like fat shaming, uh, in the world, um, that, you know, if you have somebody who is overweight or, or what have you. Okay. Um, and they imagine that people judge them because of their weight, right. Um, then their entire sense of self and how they value themselves and their self-esteem is entirely based on that imagined judgment of other people. Right. Um, and so some of that might be imagined, some of that might be legitimate for sure. Right. But the whole point of it is that it's a perception of how the world views you. Um, this is also why, so these are all negative examples. Um, but if we look at like, uh, for trans individuals, um, this is why, and I have seen this in one of my students. So, um, my student, uh, is a, a, a trans man. Okay. Uh, and so when the student was in grade seven, uh, he dressed very effeminately, um, uh, his family, his parents put him in a lot of dresses, long hair, um, sort of fit that female stereotype. Um, so he was assigned female at birth, um, and his family pressured him into dressing female, uh, feminine rather. Um, but it wasn't really who he felt he was. He, he knew deep down that this was not for him. So he made a decision to start dressing more masculine. Uh, and then that gave him more confidence. And then he was able to come out as a trans man. And honestly, this kid has totally transformed since being able to change his appearance, change his clothes, wear clothes that he felt fit him properly. Right. And so because of that, uh, he was presenting himself more confidently to the world. Uh, the world saw him as more confident. Um, and then, uh, you know, he started to dress more and more and more masculine and he just sort of fit into the role and has now a positive self-esteem right? This kid is totally unrecognizable to who he was three years ago. Um, completely, completely unrecognizable. Uh, and now, um, now that he's open about being trans, uh, he's an advocate for getting, um, more trans, uh, kids in camps that had previously only had male and female cabins, helping them in there, uh, helping other trans kids in the school, uh, offering words of support. And his parents have been super supportive with that too. Right. And so, um, it's just been a total complete, um, you know, in terms of when we're talking about favorable self-concept, we're talking about self-esteem, confidence, pride in oneself, right. Um, that, that was how that was developed. So, so what this, this concept is this looking glass self concept, uh, is it's, um, you know, number one, you choosing to present yourself to the world, whether that's in the clothes you wear, what you say, how you say it, what have you. Number two, it's, it's, um, perceiving the way the world reacts to that. And then number three, um, your self-esteem will get, will impact it either positively or negatively based on the perception of that judgment. Okay. I think I'm getting it. I think I'm Perfect. getting it. So Perfect. what I'm hearing is two things, how mm -hmm. I present myself to the world and how I perceive that the world is seeing me. Correct. For example, then, I, yep. go ahead. No, I was going to say, yep. So that's step one and step two. And then step three is the resulting self-esteem from that. Gotcha. You got it. So let's talk about presenting myself to the world. I always say that in order to call it authentic, it requires two qualities. You have to be honest and you have to be respectful. 
So, for example, you can say, uh, I'll, I'll speak for myself. My authentic self is I would walk around in T-shirts and shorts all summer long. We don't get much summer up here, as you know. So <laughs> whenever I get a chance, that's my authentic self. Yeah. Now, if I go for an interview to uh, apply for a speaking position in a company, and they yep. want to talk to me and we want to, well, I could say, well, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to wear my, uh, I'm going to wear t-shirts and a shorts and shorts, but it would be honest, but it wouldn't be respectful to the people in the room yep. who want a speaker who's going to, who's going to elevate the perception of people of themselves and others. Uh, now it's, it's, it's not a suit that's required, but I'm going to up my game in terms of presenting myself well out of respect for other people. Now you can say, well, that's inauthentic, but it's actually authentic because I'm making a choice. Now, mm -hmm. if I define myself based on those clothes, then I will lose myself in that relationship by being overly accountable to other people. If I start to identify my worth based on how other people perceive me. So that's the first thing that I'm hearing is that we can yeah. make a choice to say, I'm not going to wear pajamas to work because even though that's maybe what I feel, it's, it's, it's actually, I'm going to up my game in terms of how I present myself, which can actually improve my self-worth. The same, the exact same way that, you know, um, if like I won't swear or drink in front of my students, obviously, right. That was a choice that I made, but if I'm out with my friends, you know, I might drop a couple of F-bombs. I might have a few drinks. Right. But I am making that choice to do so in that context. And I wouldn't do so in a way in front of my students. And you're doing it consciously. Yes. Now, here's what's happened. I'm going to speak. I hope I can. Um, I, it's very personal for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the middle of a bit of a, um, a crisis of, I'm going to call it a crisis of worth, because I'm recognizing at this chapter in my life that I have defined myself a great deal by the perception of other people. I've defined myself by my work. So I've been well-received in the marketplace. People value me. Uh, but what's happening is that I'm moving into this stage in my life where I'm starting to say, what if I have something other than work? Uh, I can't, I don't want to spend the rest of my life totally identified with my work. And what's happening is that I'm having a feeling of inadequacy surfacing. I'm questioning my worth. I'm questioning my value in the world because I'm creating a space consciously in my life to not go to work as a default to deal with the discomfort of being with myself. And that is a transition period that I'm in right now. And it's not a comfortable period for me to explore who I am away from my work because I have defined myself by how other people perceive me. If I'm, if I'm really, this, this helps, this looking, looking glass model really helps me get honest with myself. I can say that my worth has been my work. Well, what is it in my work that's been valuable? Well, I feel needed. I feel like people perceive me as being valuable. I, I, I bring my best self to work and people value that. Well, what if they don't? 
And, you know, the whole marketplace is changing now. The speaking business is changing now. I'm, I, again, you know, we went through the pandemic and now people are going through another period around uh, where, do, where do we see speakers? So where do we see consultants coming into organizations? So I'm in the midst of a lot of self-questioning right now. But I do know that if I put my worth in how many followers I have, if, if I put my worth in what, how much people will pay me to come and speak to their company, that will run thin because ultimately my worth has to come from within. So that when you say to thine own self be true, which self are we really talking about? Is it myself that wants to please you? Is it my accountable self that wants to um, show up in the world and be respected? Or is it my true authentic self, which is my, for want of a better word, my soul's nature, my true essence? Is that independent? How independent is that from how the world perceives me? And I'm currently struggling with that. And I don't know anybody in my work that has that completely defined and clarified. I don't know anybody who says, my worth is completely independent of being popular in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have to be popular to some degree or we won't make an impact. Otherwise, we just go live in a cabin. Uh, at the same time, the paradox of authenticity is that, well, my, I need to be contributed and perceived well in the world because I'm making a difference in the world, I also need to understand that that can't be where my worth is because then I will compromise myself in order to please you. And your work is not the most interesting thing about you, right? And I think it's, it's finding ways of reiterating that to yourself and finding other ways that make you interesting and valuable away from your work, right? And I think like, I think why I like this model so much is that it shows us what humans do, um, which is that step one, step two, step three. But I think what we really need to work towards doing is finding a way of eliminating that step two, right? So that step one, we imagine how our personality appearance appears to others, right? And then I think we need to skip step two, which is imagining how other people judge our appearance and go straight to step three, which is where we have a self-concept based on how we feel, period. Right. And so, cause I think the problem with, with, you know, the way that we are as social creatures, right. Is that we determine our self-concept. We determine our sense of self, our self-esteem entirely based on how other people perceive us or sorry. No, let me correct myself. We build our entire self-esteem based on how we perceive other people perceive us. Right. And so it's impossible to know for sure how they really do perceive us unless you have some really honest friends, right. That will tell you honestly. Right. But the, the challenge is finding ways of defining for yourself, your own self-concept, how you feel about yourself. That's independent from how you perceive other people view you. Right. And so I think that that's, that's, that's going to be a really important, I think, challenge to grapple with because, you know, um, especially now as you, as you have fewer things about like, it, but if you, you know, relax a bit more and work towards like retirement or letting go of, of work and things like that, right. That is one fewer thing that you can use to define yourself. So it's finding things that that can replace that, that you can still maintain that favorable self-concept. So looking at the other things that make you interesting and full of joy. And I say you, not you specifically, dad, just you in general, I guess, even though I am talking to you specifically, obviously, um, the proverbial you, if you will. Um, things that make you, you know, challenging is that you've overcome 
right? Uh, hobbies that you're proud of, um, skills that you've developed in, in your many years of life, right? Experiences that you've had, um, your passions, your joys, right? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you excited? What makes you interest, interested, not interesting, but interested, uh, what makes you angry? Um, I have this, uh, one of my wonderful colleagues, um, says what makes your heart bleed. And I love that as a, as something to think about, right? Like what, what makes you passionate in terms of, of, um, where you want to help. Right. And so all of those things are independent from work. Right. And so finding other ways of developing your self-concept, right. Your sense of self, your sense of steam, independent from work, independent from other people, even though it's impossible to, to completely eliminate it, that's unrealistic. That's not going to happen. Um, cause we are social creatures, right. And we make everything based on how we think other people will perceive us. Right. Like that's the same reason why I don't jaywalk in front of a cop. Right. Or, you know, like, or I, um, you know, slow down if I see students playing or if I see kids playing in the street, right. Like we, we leave our whole life based on how we perceive others view us. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's important for us to think about like the other ways that we define ourselves, um, and define our own self-concept, uh, as opposed to def- like letting, uh, like our perceptions of how other people perceive us define that self-concept. I know I had my heart skip a beat there when you said that I'm, what I'm most interested in is not my work that I thought, well, everything it's so integrated for me, all yep. of those, all of those areas of contribution and meaning in my life come through my work. And I think it's an important exercise to extract that out and find that I actually have some interesting things away from my work. I actually don't see that very clearly. So this is the growth opportunity for me right now. I I think it's an ideal vision to have to replace number two, to not have us uh, live by the perception of how we perceive other people. I think it's uh, it, it's what I would call a, a a maturity stage that we move ideally beyond that. Mm-hmm. I haven't fully moved beyond stage two, but I think it's it creates a nice vision. I think it also is important. It's an important tool when I'm discouraged in life, when I'm feeling less than, when I'm diminishing myself, where I'm being critical of myself. I think what's helpful is to is to ask how am I perceiving that other people are perceiving me right now yeah. and then to ask the question and this is why it's good to have a community of people like you in my life that would ask me is that true what is evidence do you have true that yeah. they perceive you that way and to start to challenge some of those beliefs or, or perceptions that we have about what we think that other people have about us. I also know, having lived through trauma in my life, that I developed what I call a perpetrator. Um, And that perpetrator saved me when I was a child from stepping into that trauma. It's like a hot stove would whack my hand and say, do not touch that hot stove. That perpetrator was a protector, but eventually turned on me. And I recognize today that when that when I am viciously disrespecting myself or criticizing myself, I have to stop and say, this is not helpful right now. And this perpetrator, this side of me that is criticizing me, um, I need to say, you don't belong at the committee table right now. 
you're not a you're not a helpful member on this uh, committee right now, and you need to take a back step because I'm just not going to listen and pay attention to that. And anything less than a supportive, respectful, caring response to my life that my thoughts would tell me anything less than that comes from from that perpetrator self. And I and I and I if I can recognize that and challenge some of those perceptions that I have of myself, it can be uh, a, another step toward dissolving step two in your language. Well, and I think too, along with that, like, and I know I keep going back to this queer eye episode. It's a great episode. Anyway, uh, one of the exercises that this woman did was she wrote what uh, she imagines other people say about her. And what she in turn says about herself, all of these phrases and judgments, she wrote these on panes of glass. She went to a junkyard, wrote them all on panes of glass with paint markers, and then used a baseball bat to destroy them. Um, And that can be a really liberating exercise. Number one, to see all of those words out in the air, out out in the open, right? Because I think a lot of times when we say these things to ourselves, we don't realize the severity and the immense, the, like the, the sheer volume of it right? Until you have them written out and laid out in front of you. And then I think you can really realize like, and I think it'd probably be a good exercise for you, dad, um, to have them all written out in some way that you can destroy it. So not in your most cherished journal, right? <laughs> but like something that you can set on fire or, you know, maybe not actually right now with Alberta's fire ban. Don't do that, JK, not fire. <laughs> maybe there's another way of destroying it, tearing it up or, or, you know, um, some sort of proverbial destruction, Right. But where you can see all of these like negative self-talk uh, written out, right. Like, like these, these um, and also like what you imagine other people are saying about you with or without the evidence. Cause that's, that's something too, that my, as you know, AJ, my husband, um, anytime I'm having a bad day um, and I'm, you know, saying all these things that people say about me and he's like, okay, well, what evidence do you actually have about that? And I'm like, uh, I don't, well, there you go. Right. Um, so like finding these, you know, these, these, but these phrases and these words and these narratives, um, either that we perceive other people to say about us or that we ourselves are saying to, about ourselves, right. These narratives, um, to get them out and recorded out somewhere, right. Out and out of your head and onto a piece of paper or something like that, right. To see the, the volume of it, see the severity of it. Um, and then to, you know, force yourself to, you know, end that cycle, end those narratives, to, to confront those narratives, challenge those narratives, right? And see where did these narratives actually come from and, and why are they holding you back and, and um, you know, that kind of thing. And why are you being so unkind to yourself? Uh, and why are you perceiving other people to be so unkind to you? And if you find that these strategies, which I love, uh, feel inadequate, sometimes it does help to find, to find a guide, Absolutely. a therapist, a coach. Yep. Definitely um, a confidant that can really help you see these differently, uh, see these perceptions differently. And really what it is, is seeing them more accurately, the stuff that we make up in our head. And Definitely. a lot of it is in response to old to old trauma and old stuff that we've been telling ourselves about how the world has to see us. And I don't think that uh, our, the social media is a is a good tool that necessarily enhances that very well, that journey. No, because what social, like going back to that looking glass self, right? Like what social media is, right? Is, is it's giving you more data about how you should act around people. It's giving you more lenses about how you should act. And it actually opens the door for people judging you in comments, in, in responses, positive or negative judgment, right? Likes, comments, whatever, right? 
Uh, and so now all of a sudden you now have even just more data, um, concrete evidence sometimes, albeit it's impossible to, to gauge tone and text for sure. Right. But if you're just seeing, um, like a looking glass, which was a mirror, right? Like that's the whole, like the looking glass self is because of the different mirrors that we see, right? Social media is a mirror that reflects society for better or for worse. Right. And it's sometimes a warped view of society. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're exposing yourself to all of those extra information and, and perceptions of self and expectations and all of that, uh, it will not end well. And the statistics back that up in terms of the resulting mental health impact and, um, you know, the rising rates of self-harm and suicidal ideation amongst teenagers and, and young people who use social media, uh, and things like that. Well, it's just, you know, in, in this model that you're talking about social media, just magnifies yeah. uh what other how other people perceive you and it's so easy to convey a perception inaccurately usually uh through social media so we really have to make sure that we come back and we're going to have an episode here i know coming up but we we really need to check uh to check ourselves when we turn on social media uh, mm-hmm. And make sure we understand the purpose of social media. It is not to define ourselves or to be used as a way of social support uh, or a way of affirming ourselves. It's a communication tool. And purely that's what it's designed for, is to communicate information. And if we use it for that purpose, rather than depending on it for our social well-being, um, we can keep this in check and, and not allow step two to take over our lives. The only thing about Facebook was born out of a dating app, essentially, right? Like it was, it was born with the purpose of, of seeing who was single and available. Right. And so, you know, and then all the dating apps and everything that have come as as since, right. So it is a, it is a, it is a a world that has been designed to judge (laughs) and Mm. to provide judgments on people. Right. And so, you know, and to interact with people who, you know, you perceive to be the same or different than you and and to judge. And and it's just a nasty, nasty place. That being said, yes, I am fully addicted to it. And yes, it is incredibly addicted, addictive rather. Right. But it's really also important that if if you're looking for a place of healing and to to challenge those narratives that that are going on inside your head, social media is not the answer. (laughs) A lot of introspection, therapy, a guide, um, what have you are uh, to, in order to challenge those, those narratives, to challenge those concepts of your, of, of, of to challenge and explore, um, where your self-concept came from, right. Is essential. So, well, we have dipped into a very deep topic and we've dipped mm. into it very lightly and then we have not done justice to it, but it's been a very stimulating half an hour or so here. And I appreciate very much, uh, having this conversation. I hope that we have uh, generated some thoughts for our listeners and uh, it's been delightful. Anything else you want to add to this topic before we finish off with some gratitudes? Uh, I think it's just, you know, number one, always look for the evidence. If you're feel like you're being perceived that you're judged in a certain way. So just challenge yourself where the evidence is coming from. And number two, I think find, find ways of developing your self-concept Um in terms of your accomplishments, um, and not in terms of your job. I remember Mindy Kaling, I think I've probably mentioned this on this podcast before, but Mindy Kaling, who's a writer, uh, and a performer, um, wrote and performed on the office. She's written and performed on the Mindy show or Mindy project anyway, um, really powerful comedian. And I remember her saying, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but the way to build confidence is to do things that you're proud of. 
achieve goals that you're proud of. Right. And so to look at, you know, cause, and that is genuine, true, authentic confidence. Um, and so instead of thinking about appearances or titles or things like that, instead of thinking about things that you've overcome and the challenges you've overcome and, um, you know, building confidence that way can be a really wonderful way forward. Um, so yeah, that's, I think my last uh, couple words there. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add dad, but. No, I think that's good is to continually develop, um, what I call self-affirmation rather than depending on others to affirm us. This is why I've never been a big fan of praising our children. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm oh, that makes also sense. not I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm also not a fan of, uh, of criticizing, but I am a fan of, of saying to, to kids, what do you, you know, we've, I always, at least when I had my wits about me, I always wanted to say when you brought home a report card or you had an achievement, Haley, how did you feel about it? Yeah. And guide you to your own judgment about it, your own evaluation, rather than depending on a source outside of yourself to give you your worth. I have parents who bribe their kids to get good grades or bribe their kids to read or do chores and things like that. It's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. It does not reinforce um, affirming ourselves. No. Well, dad, what are you grateful for this week? Well, I'm going through a dark period. I'm going through an unsettled period, as I shared with you uh, at the beginning and also a little bit touched on it during this. And I'm grateful that I have a structure in my life and a community and a program in my life so that I don't become my darkness, um, that I don't, that the darkness doesn't take over. I can see that I'm in darkness and I can see that, you know, that, that uh, there's never been a double night. I know the darkness will pass. The sunlight will come up. But I, can, I have a set of disciplines and a program in my life to sustain myself, especially during times like this. I know it'll pass. And that's what I'm grateful for today. And I'm grateful to have conversations with you that are so enriching. And I don't even feel like I'm at work today. This is just a beautiful conversation with my amazing daughter, uh, another human being on this planet that I care so much about. Um, so uh, that's what I'm grateful for today. How about you? That's great. I'm grateful for these ADHD meds. I think they've totally entirely changed my life. Um, it's, it's alleviated, I think most of my anxiety because now all of a sudden I can manage what used to just set my anxiety off. I can just manage it and get on the right, right way in the right path. And, and we'll just like tackle things, not forget things. And it just sort of, you know, I, I really noticed the difference. I, I took a lower dose on Sunday by accident. I just kind of forgot to take the full dose on Sunday. And I really noticed a difference and was like, wow, this is what my life was like before all the time. This is ridiculous. I don't like this. Right. And so, um, it's just like, you know, a little bit of extra medication, you know, I, I liken it to, uh, you know, you hate to, you know, all, all things are different, but you know, if you think about a, um, you know, somebody who's missing some sort of nutritional supplement in their life. And then all of a sudden they're able to start having it and they realize what life could be all along. And it's like, oh yeah, great. Um, so it's just been total game changer. Um, so I'm grateful for that and grateful that, uh, you know, we're able to have these like wonderful discussions about sense of self and, and things like that. And, um, you know, being able to, to have these like wonderful chats on, on a Wednesday afternoon. I love it. Yes. It's so amazing. And congratulations for taking care of yourself. Thank you. Thank knowing you. how to do that and having the courage to do that and admit that. And yeah. I and I also want to just say in conclusion that it's um, 
You know, we bring up a wide variety of topics here because authentic leadership is about embracing the diversity of the human experience. So mm -hmm. I hope that it's been uh, useful to our listeners and we will see you again in our next episode. Thanks for joining us today and stay real.